You're listening to the new version of The Realism of Sin by Sean P. Keenan, found at gettingtogod.com. I'm re-recording this podcast because I, I, I feel the last version was just a little bit too judgy and a little bit too yelly. Yes, those are words now. Thank you. Um, so I thought I would just come back and do the podcast again. Podcast. 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 What a weird name. Podcast. I'm not working for the pod people. I don't really care for the pod people. Look up 80s science fiction movie. Um, I don't like the pod people because the last time I was in their restaurant, they didn't treat me very well. I'm making a really bad joke and I need to get on with what I came out here to do. I want to talk to you about sin and some stuff about sin. I am so deep. The intellectuality is, is raging right now. No, let me let me seriously get into this. Um, there is, of course, this argument that, you know, we, we get into heaven no matter what we do as long as we believe in Christ. Personally, I don't agree with that. There's too much scripture. I consider the Bible the manual to life. I was I was recently, you know, a few months ago in this Christian class, and this this person asked this question. What's the point of not sinning if I'm going to get into heaven anyway, just because I believe in Christ? And there are a lot of good answers to that, and I'll get into that, even if that were true. I Personally, I don't believe you get into heaven no matter what. There's a lot of, of scripture. There's a lot of, there are a lot of entries in the Bible that were even spoken by Jesus Christ himself that, that basically allude toward the idea that, yes, Christ died on the cross to cover our sins, but the blood does not cover everything. Um, you know, one of them being it's, it's, uh, I believe it's Mark nine. And I think it's somewhere around line 42. Jesus starts talking about, and I'm looking at this right now, finding it. Jesus starts talking about how, you know, you mess with a child, you'd, you'd be better off dead. And he talks about how, you know, if your hand offends or your foot offends, cut them off. And then he specifically says, and if, if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast in hellfire. Uh-oh, hellfire and brimstone. Here we go. This is an argument that I'm not going to settle with with my short time here and my soapbox. So I'm not going to get on my soapbox about it. As I said, I don't believe you get into to heaven no matter what even by accepting Christ, because here's the thing. Yeah, Jesus bought us a ticket, but what I believe is that people can sin, and they can commit big sins, and as long as they repent, they've got their ticket, as long as they make... But see, the the key is to make Jesus Lord, and you don't make Jesus Lord by just saying, Jesus, you are Lord, I accept you into my heart. It's, It's I don't believe it's that simple. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think making Jesus Lord is making Jesus Lord over everything in your life. That means that, you know, when Jesus carries something over from the Old Testament, and he himself says things like, do not commit adultery, do not do not this, do not that, he's, you accept those things, he becomes Lord over those areas in your life. And there's also the idea that God... It's been said that God ex- God understands and forgives people being what he calls out in the wilderness. 
that is, you know, committing sin that you don't know is a sin. But once you learn it's a sin, it's time to it's time to get rid of it. In any case, even though Jesus said, you know, I die on this cross, but I take my seed with me. My people come with me. In other words, I'm buying. God, I will do what you're asking me, but you got to allow me to buy a ticket home for the people who follow me, for the people who believe in me. But God did not say that he wouldn't do this thing called, I believe it's pronounced chastening. It's either chastening or chastening. I'm not, not good with the pronunciation, but basically it's giving people consequences for what they're doing wrong. And let me tell you, he'll throw consequences at you left and right. And I think a lot of people accept them because they don't even know they're really there. They just, you know, we grow up with sin. We're born with this. We're, we're born into it because a broken world produces broken people and does not teach people how to be sin free. And we're, I, I think we don't have often the vision of being able to associate consequences of sin with the sin. We, we do the sin normal as a normal course of, of everyday life. And then we get the consequences, but we don't realize that they're consequences of sin. We take this, oh, that's just sickness. Oh, that's just something that happens. Oh, that's just bad luck. Those are just things that happen. That's just life. No, I don't think that's just life. God is calling us to turn to him every day. And, and I've proven this in my own life because I have had some of the same bad things happen over and over again and never associated them with my poor behavior. And then when I fixed the behavior, those bad things would stop. And after a while, there's so many data points, you start to realize, oh boy, my Heavenly Father is calling me and telling me not to do that. So I might want to stop it. And, and I want to be clear here. Am I, am I Sean P. Keenan? Am I personally sin-free? No. No. I grew up in this broken world, too. I have learned a lot of bad behavior. I am working really hard to get rid of it. But like everyone I assigned them that I know, including the people that think they don't sin, I sin. I am by no means perfect. So I am by no means standing above everybody here saying, pointing my finger, waving my finger, saying, you, 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 and you. There's trouble for you. I'm okay. No, it's not like that at all. I, I'm, in any case, I'm not going to settle this argument. And so I want to get into something that even though I may not be 100% sure where the line is drawn, and I'm not, I'm not 100% sure where the line is drawn between what gets you into heaven and what exactly doesn't. But there are some things that I am 100% sure on that I can share, I can help people with. And those are the benefits of breaking sin. I will get into just how to break sin. I've got a foolproof way to do it. Actually, God has a foolproof way to do it. But for now, I want to talk about the benefits. These are the things that I absolutely know because I've got a lot of experience with them. I've got a lot of back and forth data and it never changed. Every time I break a sin, life gets better. Every time I commit a sin, it gets worse. That never changes. And when I learn that something is, sin, is, a, is a sin and I start to focus on it and I start to, to break that sin, I'll start to have the back and forth because it's, it's hard. It's really hard to break bad behavior. I wrote an article on, on breaking the porn habit. It's really tough, really tough. So I had a lot of back and forth. 
And, you know, moments when I would be free of it and moments when I would be engaged in it. And every single time I would be free of it, all kinds of stuff in my life would get better. And, and the same things, too, not just random stuff. It was the same things. Like, it was always relationships would get better with everybody, not just with, my, with, with, with Grace. And then every time I would get back into it, all my relationships would get worse. And it was just constant back and forth data points that I couldn't deny anymore. People often wonder, you know, why bad things are happening to them when they're a Christian and that sort of thing. It's because we all sin, even if we don't know it. You get closer to God. That's one of the benefits. You get closer to God and God gets deeper into your heart. You're always in God's heart. He always loves us no matter what we do. He always wants us home and treats us like family no matter what we do. But he's a good parent. He's not the kind of parent who's going to let a kid throw a fit. I had this rule. When I worked with children and families, I had this rule. Every time you give a kid what they want when they're doing the wrong thing to get it, you're going to spend two weeks. It's just a benchmark. But you're going to spend two weeks trying to get that kid back into to a phase where they're doing the right thing to get what they want instead of throwing a fit to get what they want or something like that. And that's good parenting. Looking past the convenience of giving a child what they want while they're doing the wrong thing to get it in order to teach that child self-discipline and keep them, keep them in a state where they can keep themselves out of trouble as much as possible. And that's what God does with us because he's, he's like, he's the best parent that ever existed. I mean, really? <laughs> the guy's a genius? And he's got love coming out of him that I can't even begin to match. Because I'm just not, you know, I'm not perfect like he is. But the, but the point is, he's going to continue to bring consequences our way as long as we're sinning. And he's going he's gonna to take them away when we stop sinning. And that just makes life so much better. So I said I'd get into how to break sin, and before I tell you the magic formula, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit about my story. When I was a kid, I, I didn't fit any real social groups. I still don't really. I'm, I'm bad at being social. I'm, I'm uncomfortable in groups a lot of the time. I pull it off sometimes, but in my heart, I'm like, get me out of here. But no, really... I was at the library all the time. I mean, when all the other kids were out, like, playing sports and doing all those other extracurricular activities, I was at the library. I would go on a summer day or on a weekend or after school and just spend as much time as I could. And there would be days when I'd be there for, like, eight hours straight with a stack of books. And the, and the reason was because everything I've seen in my life, everything I've encountered, from machines to people to, you know the earth, everything. As soon as I see something that I don't understand, I have to know how it works. Because for one thing, it's just like a fun game for me to know how everything around me works. And for another thing, I strongly believe that the more you understand something, the less it can hurt you. And so it wasn't just machines, though. See, when I was a kid, I got picked on and made fun of and, and really torn to shreds in grade school. It was a terrible experience in grade school. I got Awful grades in large part as a result of it. It just, I didn't fit. And one of the things that I studied was human psychology because I needed to understand the children that were being horrible. I'm not pretending to be a victim, but as a child, I was. 
I didn't have any say in it. And I needed to understand it. So I studied books on human psychology. And that's where I started to learn how to fix myself in one way. Not the best way, but in one way. But I thought, you know, as time went on, I need help. And I thought that help came in the form of books and videos and, and whatever, psychologists, therapists, people that could teach me do this, do that, whatever. But that stuff, I was really open to being fixed. And I tried to find every channel I could. But at that time, I was basically an atheist and at some point an agnostic. And that stuff didn't work much. And for the next few decades, I was, I was trying human ways to fix myself. Those things were nothing more than band-aids because I learned through that process about how weak and uninformed we really are as humans. I didn't realize that you want to take a sin out of your life, you go to God. You go to God. My tiny brain and my weak heart were never enough because I didn't understand the, the workings of an entire universe. And, and without going into too much detail, I'll just tell you, I am a small version of that universe. We all are. Because one of the things that I learned through learning how everything around me works is that there are these commonalities between every living system, physics and psychology and emotional things that work even in machines, as, as ridiculous as that might sound, you can find this enormous, mind-blowing level of commonalities between everything that's a living system, so everything from a universe to a car. They all have a lot of the same rules that they follow. So me, I'm like a mini version of this universe. And there's only one being, there's only one being that I know of, that anybody really truly knows of, that understands a universe so well that he can come along and pluck out this sin out of my life by the root and have it truly go away and not just slap a band-aid on it because he understands all of it. So when I find a sin, I have to realize that that through that sin, yes, a lot of it belongs to me, certainly. A lot of it is my responsibility. Ultimately, my behavior is my responsibility. But the source of that sin comes from the anger of some enemy who knows his time is short because he got slapped down like a kid reaching in the cookie jar and God's done with him practically. So, man, let me tell you, he knows the inner workings of a universal system like a human being very, very, very well. But so does God. And that's the point. You want this done? You want a sin gone? You go to God. And you just pray to have him pluck it out by the root. There's a part in the Bible where Jesus is walking with someone and he passes the, I believe it's a fig tree, and Jesus curses this fig tree to death. And it's like, I'm sure that there are the people that are like, well, he cursed it, but it's still, look at it, it's still there. Okay, the next day, someone comes and reports, it's dead. Okay, but the thing, did, the thing didn't die. This bush didn't die right away. It looked like he didn't do anything at first. But what he did was he killed the roots. You understand? He killed the roots. So while the thing still had a little bit of time of looking like a healthy thing, 
by the next day, the whole thing was dead. And I found that this is the blank spot where you have to have some faith. When you ask God to pluck out this sin, the root of this sin from your heart, you got to give it some time. Because for a little while, even though the roots have been killed, the tree is still going to look like it's alive. And temptations are still going to be there, but just give it some time. This is how we remove sin from our life. We have to have God do it. So the main point of this podcast, stop worrying about the arguing. Make Jesus Lord of all parts of your life so that you don't leave vacancies for evil to step in. Because you might be making Jesus Lord over, say, whatever the number is, four out of the seven areas of your life. Not an accurate number, but you get the point. But you leave vacancies in some of those areas for him to not rule by not following his commands. And you leave open doors to evil. And you leave open doors to bad things. And you leave open doors to consequences that really, if you get used to living without them, you start to wonder how you lived with them in the first place. But getting God deeper into my heart, that's a feeling I can't describe. And it's also a feeling... And once I realized it was there, I couldn't live without it. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the new version of The Realism of Sin by Sean P. Keenan, found at gettingtogod.com. Find lots of other articles, collections, and all kinds of information about the search of the soul at gettingtogod.com.